This week, we're going to take a glimpse into the exciting and interesting world of large animal veterinary technician. This is an area that we don't get to talk about a lot on the Veterinary Viewfinder, and we are excited to bring you an expert. And she's also got some breaking news on some of the legislation in Arkansas this week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine and a tough topic that we just talked about last week were some of the sweeping legislative changes that we're seeing around the country in regards to the roles of veterinary technicians. And one of those states that we featured prominently was Arkansas. And this week we've got a veterinary technician who was instrumental in leading that change. But before we get into that and talk about her whole interesting story as a cattle vet tech. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, this is a a podcast I've been excited about for a long time because it's an area that we don't get to to explore very much, right? I mean, large animal vet tech, large animal veterinarians, really, you know, we we don't do it because we don't do it. But, you know, this is actually how I grew up. You know, all of my family still farms. They still do a lot of beef cattle. So this is an area that I'm well familiar with. But but we've got a very interesting guest. Tell us about her. Well, I all but accosted Meg Harrington <laughs> on Facebook um, because I am, you know, always looking for an opportunity to really cover the scope of veterinary medicine. And when we talk about Meg, we're not just talking about a veterinary technologist. So we want to acknowledge that she's got an advanced degree. We're not just talking about an individual who is working in large animal medicine. And let's be more specific, livestock medicine, because right. I think when you say large animal, right, we're all picturing the girls and her horses out there in the field, but Meg is actually known on Facebook and across social media as the cattle vet tech. And so I'm very excited to um, introduce to you entrepreneur, veterinary technologist, and social media extraordinaire, Meg Harrington. Well, thank you. (laughs) I'm so excited to be with you guys today. Well, we are super excited to talk to you, and and I'd like to kind of start today's episode off, Meg, if you don't mind, sort of reviewing and updating us on what's happening with the Arkansas legislation, because we talked about it last week with a whole host of other states, but tell us from your perspective and and your role in leading some of that change. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Um, That's been a that's been a big year for us um, here in Arkansas. Uh, so I was uh, joined together on a committee with a group of uh, rural practice small animal veterinarians and two other technicians uh, who formed the committee called the Veterinary Technician um, Specialist Initiative Committee. And we started this last summer. So this has been almost a year in the works of creating uh, draft legislation. Uh, We uh, worked together to decide really what we wanted to do with this, what we were looking to accomplish, what we thought would be good for our state, um, because we're a very rural state. Uh, Even our small animal practitioners that are, um, you know, out there that aren't in the bigger cities like our, you know, Springdale, Fayetteville area or Little Rock, uh, the practices are very rural. So, uh, you know, getting getting people to come to these parts of the state to work as veterinarians and veterinary technicians is extremely difficult uh, because a lot of people are kind of 
drawn to the cities um, because of the perks of, you know, working in the cities. So we're just trying to figure out ways to (laughs) basically retain people uh, in our state, give technicians opportunity for growth, um, and then give our veterinarians that are in those rural practices some reprieve because they can't get any veterinarians um, to come work in rural practice. Uh, And we're looking for ways to basically give them a little bit of an opportunity to utilize their technicians uh, to the fullest extent um, and then advancing that role of a veterinary technician specialist so that they can be utilized to the their fullest extent of um, what we were able to legally do with them. So yeah, when we, that's, that's what we tried, we tried to stress, stress, I think, I think too, too, Meg, was, was last week we really, really wanted to explain to people that Every state is different and unique and has specific needs. And this was a rural state that was actually trying to, you know, buffer some of their challenges of of losing people and really trying to incentivize or attract people. So I love the fact that, you know, I believe the intent and purpose was sound and pure. So I want to thank you for that. But I do have one quick question. I mean, are you like a lobbyist? Like, how did you know to write legislation? That's amazing. (laughs) Well, no. I mean, at the at the end of this legislative <laughs> session, I feel like I became a lobbyist, <laughs> like a complete unpaid lobbyist for veterinary technology. It's crazy. <laughs> but, you know, but Meg, what, what I love about this story is, as Becky says so many times, and we try to emphasize and inspire people that listen on the viewfinder. And, and that fact is, hey, you saw a need and you just said, I'm going to make the change that I think needs to be made. Like you never written legislation. You didn't know how to go about forming committees to to tell legislators what to do, but you did it and and well done. And that should be an inspiration to everybody listening. Yeah. So we, you know, honestly, we started out, like I said, last summer, we, we pulled together kind of a survey. Like we wanted to survey some of the veterinarians um, across the state so that we knew it was going to be uh, geographically and demographically diverse so that we could kind of get answers from mixed animal practices, equine practices, small animal practices, food animal practices. So we sent out a survey to as many veterinarians as we could get to respond. We didn't get a whole lot of respondents, unfortunately, but the ones that we did were 86 percent in support of this legislation that we were proposing at the time. So this was last summer that we sent out the survey. So once we sent out the survey, we we're like, okay, we feel like there is a need for this. Maybe we should try to do something with this in legislation. So then we brought it to our, um, our state VMA, and we also brought it to our licensing board to present to them kind of the ideas behind what we were looking at doing. Um, We received a little bit of feedback from the AVMA at that time, um, mainly around the prescriptive authority. And and we knew that um, the prescriptions were going to be a challenge because everything in veterinary medicine is on the order of a veterinarian. So we, we had that in our mind. We knew that was something that was probably just going to have to, if it was going to go into legislation, it was going to be a trigger, a trigger bill. So nothing would happen unless federal law would ever change. And that was wrote into the legislation as well, you know, to accepting conflict with state or federal law. So we all knew that going into it. It ended up getting removed from the legislation, um, which I'm glad it did because then it just kind of takes out any confusion for anybody. So that got removed um, and amended. And basically everything else that we put in there kind of stayed around. Um, We got a little bit of feedback from uh, the Arkansas VMA uh, closer to um, the bill being introduced. Uh, We made a a few adjustments, but nothing major at that time, just to uh, make sure everybody was on the same page. And then um, 
you know, the bill was introduced and and did get get passed. So it's great. I'm glad it got passed. I think it's a great opportunity for Arkansas veterinary technicians to be able to advance in their career and be recognized um, for what they're doing in, in the profession. So, so again, just quick summary, what were the big changes, in your opinion at least, that, that would help incentivize retaining and attracting vet techs to Arkansas? Yeah, so, I mean, for for large animal medicine, which is our, our biggest challenge here in the state, because we have so few large animal veterinarians, we have very few equine veterinarians, um, I mean, and the same with mixed animal uh, or small animal practitioners. They're very congregated in those high population areas, but the rural practices are are dying breed in our state. So if we could utilize our technicians um, for complete utilization, utilize those technicians for preventative care appointments um, in small animal, large animal, whatever it may be, then that's a great opportunity for veterinarians to, one, their practice, they're going to share that patient load um, and be able to increase their practice revenue without increasing their operating hours by utilizing technicians to the fullest extent. So some of the roles that actually are involved in that were put into place in 2019 when we had a practice act update in 2019. Um, as a food animal technician, not a whole lot changes with this legislation. Um, it, it will greatly affect um, equine technicians and small animal technicians as well. But what happened in 2019 gave us a huge plethora list of roles that we can perform under indirect supervision of a veterinarian that is a list a mile long. And as a food animal technician, we can do um, we can do preg checks, we can do dystocias, um, prolapses, routine appointments, castrations, dehorns. There's a tons tons of things that we can do as food animal technicians that that happened in 2019. The biggest changes um, for uh, this current legislation is allowing some of the roles that we were already doing under immediate or direct supervision will move to indirect supervision. So uh, I knew your last podcast, you were mentioning dental extractions and dental procedures. So those are currently under uh, direct supervision. So we would move those under indirect supervision and it's complicated too. So as a, if somebody was an equine technician in Arkansas, you could only do equine dentistry under direct supervision in the hospital because that patient was going to be sedated. Um, the technician would be doing the dentistry part of it. So if any extractions were to happen, that would have to be under direct supervision. If somebody has advanced training in a BTS in equine, we would expect that they would have the competency to be able to sedate a horse and do some dentistry um, because they would be able to get that advanced training. Um, because our state currently allows um, lay individuals to do equine dentistry with no regulation, we feel like we're taking that away from our highly skilled equine VTSs or technicians um, and allowing lay individuals to do it, but we're preventing equine technicians from doing it. So that was a reason for bringing the, the dentistry into the indirect supervision. So I guess, I mean, Meg, this is all, it's a, it's incredible. And I think that there will be long-term changes that come from this. And I, and I absolutely know NAFTA's government relations committee will be holding you a seat there. Um, <laughs> we'll be looking for <laughs> all you've learned to come and contribute here with NAFTA for sure. But I, I, I want to kind of back up a little bit because yeah. you didn't wake up one day and say, I'm a legislator. I kind of just want to, start with or, or go back to digress to 
Tell me about Baby Tech Meg. How did you, when you went into tech school, did you plan on being in livestock medicine? Sort of, what did your journey look like that got you here? Because there is a lot unique about your path. Um, and you do a lot of unique things, including entrepreneurship, which I think is incredibly important to highlight in the veterinary technician space. Like we really want our veterinary technicians to know that, that you are not stuck wherever you are. There are so many options for you. And I think a lot of what you're doing demonstrates that. So you kind of take us through your journey. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up on a farm, right. Uh, in Southern Indiana, we always had livestock, um, cow, calf operation. And I knew from a young age, I wanted to work, um, with large animals. So that was an easy decision. Uh, I started working through our ag, uh, FFA ag, uh, program in high school at a veterinary clinic in in the town that I lived in, so mixed animal practice, and I just kind of developed from there. And I knew that this was the career path I was going to take. We had technicians on staff there, and um, I really learned a lot from them, and and knew that this was the career path I was going to take. So I was always interested in Purdue. So I ended up at Purdue University uh, in their vet tech program. And then while I was at Purdue, I also worked at their, um, the university's beef research center. So mainly fed cows and calved out heifers <laughs> for my uh, tenure at Purdue, uh, as my, you know, job outside of the tech program. So got more cattle experience there, met tons of people that, um, I'm still connected to across the country that have, you know, made it like instrumental in me being able to go the places that I do, because like there's such power in networking with people that it's amazing. Like there's still people that I'm connected to today from meeting, um, working at the beef unit. So grateful for that, for that, um, opportunity. So when I left Purdue, um, I ended up, I got my bachelor's at Purdue and tried to really focus on the production animal uh, medicine while I was there because we were able to choose kind of extra rotations. And I chose bovine ambulatory with Dr. Hortzman. And then I also chose um, the production swine rotation with Dr. Daryl Ragland. Um, both of those veterinarians, amazing. Um, and then once I left there, I went back to mixed animal practice uh, that I started at in high school. And I worked for them for about four years. And then I met my husband who's from Arkansas. So I moved to Arkansas and I took a position as a program director for a veterinary technology program that was seeking AVMA accreditation. And I helped write their curriculum for their uh, first year of students. And I was there for about a year before accepting a position for with Beringer Ingelheim. Um, and I was a territory manager for Beringer Ingelheim for several years and worked on the cattle team there and worked really closely with my technical services veterinarian and was very active in um, different veterinary practices and with producers on diagnostics and making sure that uh, diagnostics that were performed on operations to help identify different disease risk for cattle herds and making sure their vaccine programs were what they needed to be, the deworming programs were what they needed to be and kind of helped identify different pathogens within operations uh, with my uh, technical services uh, veterinarian and, and develop those herd health programs, which was a great opportunity. Um, that led me to the relationship that I have with the veterinarian that I work for today um, because I worked with him for so long as his uh, territory manager and on different cases and um, just really developed a strong relationship. He, he gave me a wonderful uh, job offer that I could not refuse to come back to practice. So 
and now I'm I'm working with uh, National Animal Hospital, uh, and I you know work as their food animal technician, and I do a lot of the livestock consulting for our practice. Wow, I mean Meg, I, and I love this story, Becky, because once again it just really demonstrates the versatility of a degree in veterinary medicine, whether it's a vet med or a veterinary technician degree. I mean, listen to her story, guys. I mean, that is remarkable. One quick thing, you mentioned Purdue. Were you there with one of my favorite vet techs in the world, Paige Allen? Yeah, I remember Paige. Mm -hmm. Okay. The reason I mention that is because obviously she's been a mentor and inspiration to so many vet techs and veterinarians like myself around the world. And, uh, you know, I think it's always interesting to see people come out of those, you know, little incubators like Purdue because, you know, Becky, I mean, Paige uh, at Purdue did a lot of really interesting things and really expanded the roles and responsibilities. And I would say education of vet techs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and, and this is why uh, we are so excited to have folks like Paige, like Meg, like leading our industry. I think this is the important part because when I think about myself as a baby technician and when I was looking at my career, I had no idea about all of the other options. Right, and I think right. honestly, because they weren't out there, but because some of us are like getting old to where I look like that was like 10 years ago. And then like, wait a minute. That was like 20 years ago. All <laughs> right. Um, <but> <laughs> You know, and so I'm like, where was all this when I was in school? It was like not existent. And I think this is where we look at the longevity. So, Meg, I want to ask you two things. And, and, um, it's from a, a, a sort of neutral spot because I have talked ad nauseum about my thoughts and views here, but your alma mater, Purdue, um, has changed their title of their program to veterinary nursing and you are the cattle vet tech and I just kind of want to hear from you about your thoughts and and especially considering you've gone through legislation and legislative action um care to tell us a little bit about your thoughts on title changes and protection and just sort of that side of things with our profession Oh, great question. We could go on for days about that one, I'm sure. <laughs> or don't. It is we also not live. Right. All of a sudden, much. we lost Meg. She disconnected. Yep, I'm out. Peace. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So um, the part of the legislation that happened in 2019 in Arkansas was to, you know, get some title protection for technicians here in Arkansas. We included that with the BTS so that a, a BTS title was also protected. And we think that's yes. very important in Arkansas. Right. Um, I don't think that in our state, it was a time to change our, our personal title. Um, that attempt had been made nurses protected in the state of Arkansas. So I think that's honestly for our state, probably something not worth pursuing. I would rather see, technicians be valued. I'd rather see technicians be utilized um, than worry about what we're called right now because there has been so much attention in our state about veterinary technology. What is the BTS? Um, what do technicians do? What is our degree? What is our our license? And it's not just been within our profession. It has been publicly. We have really pushed to create um, public awareness of what technicians are, what we do, what our education is. Um, I know our um, ABTA board and president, she and her team have worked very hard uh, to create awareness uh, to different uh, programs uh, with the FFA, with the 4-H, to let them know that this is a career path. We actually had the governor um, last year in Vet Tech Week 
procl- uh, make a proclamation that it is Vet Tech National Vet Tech Week in the state of Arkansas. So like we are really working yeah. on public awareness of what technicians are. So at this point in Arkansas, in my personal opinion, not the opinion of our ABTA, but yeah. in my personal opinion, I think let's use what we have and let's embrace it and let's let's make sure we educate these people on what we what we are, what we do and how we can be utilized. And in our state, it really needed we needed a lot of veterinarian awareness as well, because a lot of veterinarians didn't even know what a VTS was, let alone what the education of a vet yeah. tech was. Yeah. So that was very eye opening for a lot of veterinarians in our, in our state, I think. Um, as far as the language that's being changed across the country with different programs. I recognize that we do nursing care. I absolutely recognize that. I do that on a daily basis. Um, I graduated from, you know, Purdue's veterinary technology program. And when I got my first license as an RVT, I was a registered veterinary technician because that's what the state of Indiana recognized me as. And I am recognized as a certified veterinary technician in the state of Arkansas. So I just, I think adding the nursing title um, right now in our profession just really creates a lot of, a lot more confusion (laughs) and complications, um, (laughs) especially when we graduate and we get licensed and we are called technicians in every state um, that have, you know, credentialing processes. So I just think it's premature at this point until we can get across the board on the same page. Everybody is an RVT or everybody is a CVT (laughs) and everybody has title protection and everybody has a license in every state. I think it's a little premature. Beautiful. I mean, beautifully said. So it sounds like your speech for the committee is well prepared. We've got your role carved out now. That just secured you your seats. <laughs> we're, we're, we're coming for you. No, it was really well said, Meg, and I appreciate your thoughts and your diplomacy there, right? Because yeah, we are yeah. allowed to have our personal opinions while supporting our profession as a whole, right? So it, it's 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 really well said, and, and the work that you're doing to make that title protection in your space is really important. And I hope it's inspiring to our listeners. I hope it's inspiring to people to say and feel like they can protect their space and also take up room within their space. And and I hope that you're inspiring others the way that you inspire me to do that. Um, I really, I I really respect that. Um, I want to ask you this question. I feel like I'm sort of fangirling only because I love cows and I have never got to work with them other than school. And I was not like a large animal girl. I was, I, I every time I'm around a horse, I think that I'm probably going to die. But I spent <laughs> like the first five years of my career working with horses. I got the occasional pleasure of working with a few cattle, a few bovines. A couple years ago, our listeners remember, I got a small pig from for Christmas as a surprise. So I've I've dabbled in livestock, but I guess it's just like zoo medicine to me. It's like, I'm so jealous because I feel like what you get to do is so cool and baby cows and and just shiny noses. So I want you to level that up because I am coming at you right now, just like a person who's like, you get to work with puppies and kittens. And it's so not true. (laughs) And I don't want to be like that because I'm picturing all of the things that you probably are not it. But tell me why Livestock Medicine has your heart. Give me like the elevator pitch for our students who are in school right now thinking, where should I go? Like, what is it that makes Livestock Medicine get you up out of bed and inspired to be such a leader in this space? Oh, you know, honestly... I think the biggest part of it is um, I love my clients. 
Um, the clients that we have are amazing, um, just genuinely good people to be around um, that makes the job so much easier. And they truly want to listen to what you have to say, your advice and your recommendations. And they realize that we are here to help them be successful in their operation. So I, I really appreciate the clients that I get to work with. Um, the cattle themselves, I've just always had a love for cattle. I think it's just because I grew up with them. Um, I've just always been well-connected. I've always been able to read cattle better than any other animal. So I've just, I have this connection with them that I think, um, just on a personal level, that's just why I like them so much. Um, even though I, you know, yesterday, I'll have you know, it wasn't all puppies and kittens. I had to work a bunch of um, Brahma influence cattle that are wild and jumpy, and I got kicked in the hip, but it's all good. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's part of it, you know. That's just part of it. When right, you're, yeah. You know, you're working behind them. That's, that's just life, so. But you find ways to keep yourself safe. But I think, you know, just the biggest part of it is um, being, instru- being an instrumental part of helping somebody who relies on those animals, uh, for their livelihood, um, be successful. And then knowing that, you know, I am helping create a safe, uh, food supply for our country and that I'm doing everything that I can to, you know, make sure America continues to be fed for those, uh, beef eaters, I think is an important part, um, of what I do on a daily basis. And, and I love that part of it, um, that I'm able to contribute to that. Meg, you know, a lot of people, you know, we always talk about burnout and losing people out of the profession, especially RBTs, CBTs, LBTs. What's been your secret to longevity? You know, like what keeps you still moving and enthused about, you know, helping and working? Because, you know, obviously you've had a diverse career thus far, but what what advice would you give to that young veterinary professional listening today who's, you know, struggling a little bit? What 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 keeps you going? Well, I think the biggest thing is um, setting boundaries is important. Um, knowing what you can do in a reasonable amount of time um, and not trying to overdo it, I think is the biggest the biggest thing because we're just, I, I mean, I am naturally ingrained and everybody laughs. I'm like, I say set boundaries and my boss would be like, you don't know what a boundary is. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, I mean, if you can set boundaries um, for yourself to say, okay, I can realistically accomplish this. Um, that way, you know, you're not putting too much pressure on yourself and you're not getting yourself in a situation where you're going to get in a bind. Um, I think that's a big part of it. And I think the biggest part for me that's helped me stay in the game and it's kept me like willing to keep going because I mean, we all go through burnout. It just, it happens. Um, but at the end of the day, having a veterinarian who believes in what I do, working with people who believe in what I do, respect me for my education and my, uh, are utilizing me for my education career and, uh, treat me in that way. Um, because you know, we'll bounce ideas off of each other. Um, like we're, you know, I'm obviously not a veterinarian, but, um, we'll bounce ideas off of each other as if I'm, I'm an equal person in their eyes and, and not somebody that's, less because I, I don't have a DVM and I appreciate that. And I think that, um, that resonates with me a lot and keeps me motivated because I've seen so many technicians that have just been beat down and pushed out of our profession because they have not been respected, uh, for their education and their skills. And it's tough to watch uh, people walk away from a profession when they're very good technicians. So I think if you can find somebody that's going to respect you, um, and wants to, wants to utilize you for your skills and, um, 
you know, push you to be a better person and give you any opportunity that you want to learn, then I think that's great um, because that's, that's the key to success and the key to staying in the game to me. I love that, Megan. And I would just add that uh, instead of if you can find someone who will nurture and support and help you grow, you have to, <laughs> you yeah. know, you need to, you, yeah. you can't, it's not an optional thing because otherwise I think we do wind up in the, you know, pile of debris that, that is uh, our profession many times. So I really want to, I, I love that inspirational thing. And then finally, I guess today, uh, as we wrap up here, my last question for you before we get to Becky is, uh, okay, let's say that, you know, there's that young veterinary technician or veterinarian who's kind of on the fence. Maybe they're in school or just recent grad, and they they say, I just don't know about large animal medicine. I've heard so many horror stories. What would you do to dispel some of the myths around large animal or food animal or production animal or whatever livestock, you know, to help encourage them that, that are interested to do it? Because look, you know, Meg, we've got to fill this void. I mean, we are desperate in this country. We do not have enough veterinary professionals in into large animal medicine. Uh, so what can you do maybe to nudge them that way? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. It is getting to be a challenge out here trying to hire people for mixed animal practice, yeah. large animal practice. It's it's brutal. Um, and I, you know, I think that can, you know, the, the conception is, well, you can't make any money doing food animals. Uh, you can't make any money working on large animals. Um, it's not sustainable. It's long hours, late nights. It's, you know, pulling calves in the middle of the night, things like that. And I, I realize that's that's tough. Um, and emergency is just a part of being in veterinary medicine. So you have to right. accept that. But I, I also think, I mean, it's such a rewarding part of a career that... Um, that you can help. Uh, and I, I think if people would just open their eyes and get themselves a little bit more experience in that, they can see the positive things that they can do for uh, the veterinary profession, for the industry as a whole, um, and again, for, for the public um, and being able to secure our food supply again. So I think that's so important um, if people can see that side of things. And I mean, for me, I would rather work on a cow in a shoot than a cat all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it, I know it just to comes each their to, own. To each yeah, their, I mean, I know, I, get I, know, it I, get I it. know it comes down to preference, and yeah. when somebody yeah. doesn't have that experience growing up with large animals, they don't get that ex you know a whole lot of experience in college. It does yeah. take some time um, to get that, but if you have an internship opportunity out there where you can go to a mixed animal practice or you can go to a food animal practitioner to get more hands-on experience. I think they might fall in love with it if they would give it a try. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I just think cows, I always say like, you know, they're like big <laughs> dogs and they're just, I don't know. I think they're kind of fun to work with in general and smarter than people give them credit for and have bigger hearts than people give them credit for. Um, so I love that. So I guess my, my last question for you before we let you get back to your very busy life is what's next for you? Like what textbooks are you writing other than the seats I've carved out for you and NAFTA? Like what's next for the cattle vet tech? Yeah. What laws are you trying to pass yeah. now? What states are you going to take over next? Right. <laughs> well, I did send a letter to Washington for you. <laughs> oh, good. Thank there, you. I, so not, not a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, so <laughs> I'm doing a lot of uh, CE opportunities. Um, I'm doing some web-based webinars for continuing education for food animals, um, which I think is great um, because there's not a lot of opportunity for technicians to get CE in food animal medicine from other technicians. Yeah. So I have a lot of that going on. I have a lot of conferences. I'll be at Colorado 
with our technician meeting um, next week. Uh, I guess that is next week. So I'll be at Colorado for that. And then I have Southwest Vet Symposium in uh, September. I'll be at that meeting. And then I'm looking into deciding for sure if I'm going to be going to Alberta, Canada to speak at one of their uh, meetings in October as well. So lots of CE uh, in-person meetings coming up. Um, I'm working on a few um, CE articles um, that you would be able to read and test for and be able to get some continuing education on critical calf care and managing calf scours. So those are a few of the things that I'm working on as far as publications uh, for continuing education. So that's really all I got going that's on. That's amazing. And meanwhile, raising a beautiful family, like what we do want to mention, you've got a couple little cutie future vet professionals you might be raising there and, um, you know, doing, doing the life thing as well and trying to keep the balance, which is, is pretty incredible. Um, with that, where can people find all of this stuff with the, they want to see these CEs if they want to learn more, where can they find you? Yeah. So if you're looking at the continuing education, um, you would go to www.vet-et Dot com And under their webinar section, there's going to be a webinar each month that I will be doing um, on different uh, food animal topics and then on technician utilization as well. So you can find all those um, at that website. And then again, um, if you go to the Cattle Vet Tech uh, Facebook page, I do have a post on there that has some of the in-person uh, speaking engagements at some of the different state VMAs that are going on throughout the rest of the year. Outstanding. And just a tiny little shout out. That's with Vetcetera. And Vetcetera is a sponsor of the Bridge Clubs event for yeah. the veterinary giving tree that I'm shamelessly plugging uh, <laughs> in July at AVMA. So, Meg, if you come to AVMA, please come to that. But thank you, Vetcetera, <laughs> for that. So always happy to shout them out because they're uh, they're supporting us. Uh, we'll share all of your socials in our show. They notes. are a wonderful organization. They really, I mean, they really are doing great things for the industry and um, popping up in a lot of really cool spaces. So they are a group to watch. And I love that they're supporting getting this type of CE out. It's diversity in CE is um, is amazing. And we and since COVID, we've really been able to to utilize and leverage the platforms. Right? I think it's the best thing that's come from it and gives you a, a far reach. And I, I guess, like you said, it's probably really hard to find good vet tech CE for livestock management. And um, it's amazing for them to get that out there because it all equals better patient care. And in your case, safe safety for, for people yeah. and for animals. That's right. Yeah. They're really the but foundation of veterinary medicine, right? Like that's what it was founded <laughs> right. on. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but they are a wonderful organization. So yeah, you can find all the webinars on there. And like I said, we'll have some CE articles coming up soon too. Yep, and guys, we will include all of those links in our show notes. So if you want to find out more about Meg or just follow her on social media at Cattle Vet Tech, again, just go and click below. Meg Harrington, thank you so much for not only inspiring us today, but to, for all your advocacy for veterinary professionals around the country. It thank was you really so much. Moving. Uh, I, I, was I love it. I've been waiting the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, what do you think about large animal veterinary medicine in general? What do you think about the cattle vet tech? Do you harbor a secret desire to work with those large, fluffy animals from time to time? If you do, we'd like to hear from you. And Becky, where can they tell us about these secret desires? <laughs> you guys don't go looking for us on Twitter because we're just not there anymore. You can find us. <laughs> on Facebook and Instagram at The Veterinary Viewfinder.
Viewfinder. And you can send us an email over at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right, guys. Until we talk next week, have a wonderful week. I don't have a cow pun for you. Bye. Bye.